2: Thanks, Pat. Uh, we're with you, of course, uh, every weekday morning from nine with uh, a tip today. And the ongoing health uh, crisis continues to dominate news and opinion uh, this morning. Earlier on, we spoke to Connor and uh, to Tanya uh, following the weekend protest in Limerick, and Connor really told us about his father and what his dad endured. Here's just a little of uh, what he had to say to us just after nine o'clock this morning. He
0: was discharged to the nursing home and within a couple of hours in there the GP was back at his bedside because he was calling for God he was choking he had exacerbations Um, he was in a very dire state and um, he the GP diagnosed him with pneumonia in nursing home at that point. Now, he had left Nina Hospital several hours earlier. Um, he was, yeah, we, we got back on, the family was all there, the GP, the nursing home staff. We got back on to Nina Hospital to ask them uh, look, he, his bed is still warm. Can you take him back? He's, he's in a bad way. He's come here, you know, and he shouldn't be here. He needs medical help urgently. Um, Nina Hospital were forced to refuse to take him back because guess what, friend? The HSE had their protocol. Now, the sheets may not have even been changed on his bed in Nina Hospital at that point, but the protocol, the HSEs, don't make me swear, but their protocol dictated that the ambulance needed to come and take him right back to Limerick um, where he had to go through the whole process all over again at 89 years of age, uh, with the exacerbations, the post, the 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 this post stroke um, kind of medical complications, if you will. He had to go. I I thought he was leaving us that night. I was with him in the resource unit in the ED. I made my peace with him the next morning. He was back out in the what I call the zoo part of the ED. Um, another week in the hospital uh, in UHL and then back to Nina where he finally, thankfully, did not pass on a trolley and he ended his life with dignity. But what he was put through during those weeks, Fran, was both ludicrous and unforgivable.
2: Dr. Conor Reedy speaking to me just after nine o'clock this morning. Now staying with health services, there are currently less than 650 dentists remaining in the medical card scheme in Ireland. And this number is at a 10-year low. Well, Deputy Michael Lowry highlighted the situation during a regional group private members motion in the Doyle on Thursday. Following input and support from across the House, the motion was unanimously adopted. And uh, Deputy Michael Lowry joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Michael, can you give us some of the background to this and how we ended up where we are now?
1: Well, I suppose the first thing to say, Fran, is that good health care leads to a healthy body and many illnesses and diseases are brought on by bad. Or poor teeth or neglected dental hygiene so it's generally accepted good dental health care is paramount to overall good health and despite the constant emphasis on preventative health care we continue to risk the health of something like 37% of people by not making available to them uh, access to dentistry so we we risk their health because they receive their dental care through the medical care uh, system we threaten their health because of the dismal level of dental, uh, car, medical care dental care cover uh, you know there's very little care for medical care holders and it's having an enormous impact on many people both young and old
2: Why are dentists uh, finding it so unattractive then to look after these people?
1: Well, there are currently, as you mentioned at the outset, there are uh, less than 650 dentists remaining in the medical care scheme in Ireland. That number has hit a 10 year low. Uh, the availability of licensed dentists per capita in this country has not increased since 2005. In other words, we had the same availability as 2005. And the number of new Irish trained dentists entering the Dental Council of Ireland, that hasn't changed in 25 years, which is amazing. 25 years, it hasn't changed. So there are very limited spaces available for dentistry training, and that's one of the things the Minister committed to, to do last week, but well, he said that they will try and ensure that there are more college places available and that we can train more dentists in Ireland. We're exporting dentists on a regular basis, but un- unfortunately, who- people who can't get into the training centres here, they have to go to other countries. And when they go to the other countries, they qualify, but they remain there.
2: For years, we've been talking about this on the show, Michael. I've been hearing from dentists uh, on this for, for years, so it's been well flagged. How was it allowed to get to the situation it is now?
1: Well, what dentists are telling us is that the private dentists, countrywide and across the prairie, they were contracted to buy services under the medical care scheme. They have withdrawn. And uh, obviously, a lot of them are very reluctant to leave because of the impact it has on their patient list. But they say that it's not viable under the pay terms. And what's obviously important is that a new scheme would be drawn up and that, you know, business is business. And it has to make sense for them other than that they're not going to be involved in the scheme. And that's the nub of the issue for medical care holders. But in general, we have a shortage of dentists in the country.
2: Now, the motion uh, that you put forward was unanimously adopted, but where do we go from here? Did you get any assurances from the department, from the minister?
1: Yes, the minister attended the debate. and I have to say he, you know, he understood what we were saying. He said he was very conscious of the fact that there was a huge issue that it needs to be addressed. Now, I raised the issue myself, in particular about young uh, and adults with disabilities, in particular who are shut out of treatment, yes. and they continually suffer pain and discomfort. Children on the autism spectrum they usually need to go under anaesthetic, which is difficult to access at the present time and these children are tormented with pain and their parents feel hopeless and heartbroken for their child because they can't give them the treatment that they need uh, i have spoken to minister rabbit and rabbit in relation to this about the issues around access to dental services for those with disabilities and the minister has taken a proactive role and she's about to put in place pathways to dental care for that cohort of people minister donnelly and the hsc officials they need to sit down with the Dental Council, acknowledge the extent of the problem, resolve the issues that are involved and provide a basic level of service uh, to every citizen regardless of his or her income. Now, the Minister last uh, Wednesday or Thursday committed to do that. He also committed to uh, provide additional funding for the schemes and hopefully we'll see an improvement.
2: Well, hopefully so indeed. You were mentioned in dispatches last week. We were speaking to David. Um, who discovered a huge waiting list for orthodontics, as you know. Yes. Um, he discovered through your, you and your team that you know that an option would be the cross-border one, but it, it appeared from our listeners that this isn't widely known, that this could be an option for
1: them. Well, it's an option that's taken up by many people. Uh, the cross-border scheme is in operation and is funded uh, by the state. And effectively, what it means is that people here who are on a waiting list can be referred for cross-border treatment. It can be the UK or it can be Northern Ireland. Many people here use the service in Northern Ireland and what happens is you pay up front for the scheme uh, you get immediate treatment within you know, a week to two weeks you could be on a list. If you make an application You could be, de- your case could be dealt with in Northern Ireland or the UK you have to put the money up front and then you ref- the money is refunded to you by the state. That's the way the scheme works.
2: Mm. I think it's uh, 80% I've- is it?
1: Yes, a a, a lot of people have used that scheme but again, I suppose it's a case, uh, Fran can you afford to pay it up front and can you afford to pay the 20% it's not a scheme that can be used by a medical card holder, unfortunately because they don't have the resources to do it but it has been a successful scheme a lot of people in the private sector certainly use it
2: Right, but we we were hearing about six year waiting lists, Michael you know, it's just not acceptable, (laughs) is it?
1: No, orthodontic treatment is absolutely disastrous. You know, it it really is sad to see young people with awkward teeth. They become very self-conscious. You know, they're both uh, physically and emotionally upset about the whole thing, and uh, that's the area that we've asked the Minister to focus on in the immediate future.
2: Can we stay with uh, all things health? Um, The the rally, the protest in in Limerick, you you were there. Um, What did you make of the huge turnout there?
1: Yes, there was a big turnout, and I think that turnout uh, reflected the anger, the frustration, and the resentment that now exists uh, towards the HSE and the Health Service in general. We heard, I was there to listen, to learn. And I suppose I didn't hear anything, Fran, that I'm not hearing every day of the week. Uh, both, you know, people in direct contact with myself or with my office, uh, complaining, obviously, about the long-waitingness, about access to the hospital system. And when you get into the hospital system, then how long are you left in accident and emergency? But can I say, you know, the emphasis has been, obviously, on the negativities in the service. Can I say that, you know, there are a big number of people working in all of our hospitals our doctors, our nurses, our consultants, they are completely overwhelmed with work they're doing fantastic work, and many many people do have a good experience once they get into the system. The problem is accessing the system
2: Where do you stand on nina hospital michael
1: well if, if you have to you have to put that in context mm. in two thousand and nine. Uh, the department and the HSE come up uh, and HICWA came up with a reconfiguration. And as a result of that reconfiguration, it was said that accident and emergency services in Nina and Ennis were no longer safe for the public and that all emergency patients should be directed to Limerick. That was uh, in the HICWA report. And Higfa also said it was unsafe to treat complex emergency cases at Nina. So the patient throughput at accident and emergencies uh, was kind of too small. Uh, The variety of surgeries and clinical interventions was not sufficient to attract professionals. And with the, you know, professionals with the medical and clinical skills to run a 24-hour emergency department and the operating theatres. Now, in Nina, the operating theatres were old and dilapidated. They were in place since 1954 and hadn't been upgraded, and it was considered a burden fit for purposes. But the kernel of the issue, Fran, is that UHL was to be dramatically upgraded to take the additional workload, which was transferred from Nina and Dennis. And while there was big investment in Limerick, it was too little. It it took too long to put it in place. And UHL still does not have the bed complement, which was proposed back in 2009. In 2009, we were told that Limerick would need 670 beds to manage the increased number of patients. Today... 14 years later, it has 530 beds. So, all the analysis would indicate that it requires at least another 200 beds extra to cope with the current demand. Now, we heard yeah. on Saturday about the building of 96 bed blocks, but that's underway. But the fact is, 48 of that new 96 beds will only be replacing existing beds which are going out of commission because they do not meet the HICWA standard. So effectively, we're only getting 48 new additional beds when we require an additional
2: 200. And do I take it from you then, Michael, that, uh, you know, to to do something about this that's more about investment in UL than reopening Nina? Well
1: look, I I would like to see Nina reopened. We would all like to see more access to accident and emergency. But all the medical professionals will tell you that uh, that this is not possible. Now, obviously, it's a debate that's going to continue. But I think the first thing is, say, there is, doesn't appear to be any real short-term answers to that other than to upgrade the existing facilities to provide additional staff, to provide additional beds. It's really about the bed complement. There's a shortage of beds. Now, if you have the beds, obviously you have to have the increased staffing levels and that has been proving difficult as well. So... Uh, In essence, Fran, what happened here is the reconfiguration was carried out before the appropriate facilities, before the accommodation, before the resources and staff were put in place in Limerick. And that is the reason why we have this appalling VISTA. The, The policy initiative failed principally because the HSE didn't deliver on its own promises. The repercussions and sufferings of that are visible every day. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to see this continue. I would like to see Nina uh, utilised much better than it is. I would like to see Ennis brought into the equation much stronger than it is. I think there's an awful lot additional work that could be carried out in relation to accidents and in relation to emergencies in these hospitals and that's what the HSE are looking at at the moment.
2: The irony, of course, is that HICWA closed uh, the emergency department in Nina because of safety to patients. And then, I mean, people are dying on trolleys down in, in UL, you know?
1: Yes, well, this is this is the the reality of it. But let me say again, in relation to, 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 to Limerick, you know, because a lot of people are concerned about going there. Um, the group in Limerick, they did invest $130 million in new infrastructure. We have an exceptionally good cancer care unit there. We have a new neurological and stroke centre with a breast care unit and a cystic fibrosis unit, mm-hmm. and they're functioning very well. The real problem in Limerick is at the accident and emergency and the lack of their ability uh, to cope and to process the people as they arrive. And to find beds for them, mm. and that's the issue. And in the past,
2: with me, you you blamed management. Do you? Do you still? Are you still of that opinion? Is this a management well, uh,
1: I, I think there's a combination of lack of bed com- bed complement, and also poor management decisions. I think the management there could be improved. I raised this in the doll uh, four months ago. And as a result of raising it with the Taoiseach, a team of specialists was sent in to assist and support the local management. That has brought about improvements, but there are fundamental problems there, and it really is down to a situation that the capacity isn't in Limerick to cope with the 500 million people in the in the region. Uh, now, when you mentioned Nina Hospital, uh, at the time. Uh, £25 million. I secured 25 million from the then Minister Mary Harney as a capital investment. And Nina has been transformed from a hospital under threat of closure at the time to now being a busy, thriving, and category two hospital with new surgical suites, state of the art endoscopy unit, a new bottom diagnostic centre, and day surgery is working to full capacity. We have step down beds in Nina, which have been utilised to take pressure off the of UHL. So, There's a huge variety of outpatient clinics also in Nina with top consultants attending the hospital. One aspect of Nina that I see needs attention is that the injury injury unit in both actually Nina and Cashel are totally underutilised and could and should uh, play a greater role. Well, there's often not it,
2: doctors available in those units. Yeah, yeah.
1: you know, it's, it's it's a vicious circle. And the one thing is very clear is that the HSE is not fit for purpose. It needs to be disbanded. We need to move on with to care. That's uh, agreed across the political divide. Uh, obviously, there's resistance from within the system because when you go for major change, Fran, you encounter vested interests who don't want to change. So there's massive problems in our health system. And the reason we had the march and the rally on Saturday, the reason so many turned out is that they're frustrated at night, they don't see progress, and they're trying to ensure that the message has got a lot politically that this is an urgent matter and must be dealt with.
2: Could I finally just bring it up with you? Health is right across the newspapers today, but the Mental Health uh, Commission identifying serious risk and uh, the safety and well-being of children accessing calms, Michael. Now, the open cases, I think there's about 140 of them, it's known to be in community health areas covering Clare, Limerick and indeed North Tipperary as well. So this is very, very serious for our young people. what's, What's your thoughts on this?
1: Well... Uh, I have sought information on this uh, this morning. I, I understood that a review had taken place in the Midwest region and that as part of that review they had identified weaknesses, they had identified neglect, they had identified children that were at risk and needed further care. My understanding is that the processes were put in place to deal with those children who were highlighted. Uh, my, my thoughts, also my understanding that 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 has happened but that the report which was started in June uh, in other words that events have overtaken the report has overtaken the action in the Midwest region. Now I've looked for a full briefing I'm going to get that full briefing later on today. As a member of the regional group we put down a motion to the Count this morning asking for uh, an urgent specific debate and I certainly would rather see that type of debate getting priority uh, tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday rather than going back to the, the old chestnuts so Pascal P-P-P-Dunavu and 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 the vans uh, and posters. I think those are the real issues that we need to be addressing in Dal Air.
2: Alright, Michael, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to Thank you. you. Bye-bye to you now. Deputy Michael Larry speaks to us this morning. 1800 938 007. Um, Pay the staff a decent wage for the work they do in hospitals. No need to applaud them then, says one of our listeners. Um, uh, Somebody saying, is Michael having a laugh over health services? It's in such a state because uh, the likes of Michael has continued supporting this government. Uh, I suppose there has been successive governments, uh, Joe, that has failed miserably where health is concerned. And it's going back a long, long way. And that's uh, for sure. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Back in a moment.
0: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry
1: in association with Slatteries of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slatteries Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over fifty years in the Premier County. SlatteriesGarage.ie.